0: Good morning mike good morning you know i'm not sure if we should be alarmed here but we did insecurity part one and then we said we would do insecurity part two but then both of you or both of us <laughs> came down with something mm-hmm. uh, is our subconscious telling us something where we're trying to avoid the second yeah. security episode <laughs>
1: yeah yeah it's the old joke about uh i can't remember it <laughs> But it's the old joke about the teacher says, okay, who put the gum under the chair and no one says anything. And finally the teacher says, you know, someone's mama must not be very good if she did that. And the little boy goes, quit talking about my mama and I didn't do it. we <laughs> <laughs> talking about insecurity. We're talking about us. That's right. That's right. Let's find another topic.
0: <laughs> well, we're finally back weeks later. Yeah. Um, our one listener is going to be a little disappointed for the gap here, but sorry. Yeah. Right. Empty life for him. Empty life. <laughs> so we uh, wanted to wanted to circle back and and just kind of after contemplating our last conversation, came out with a couple questions that I'd like to to dig into a little further. So we're just gonna gonna jump right in. Um, Fire away. Cool. The the first question I had, you know, we you you very well connected insecurity with idols and. A lot of that, a lot of it makes sense. A lot of that, that hits. What about things like insecurities of flaws? So, like, how do you how do you detect the idol in there? So, I, I'm not good at this thing. or right? I know this is a flaw of mine. I know this is a weak area of mine. Um, how do how do you how do you resolve? Like, I, I'm sensitive to that. So, when someone brings it up or points it out, I'm sensitive to that. Where's the idol in there? I think there is. There's definitely one, but where's the idol? How do you work through? you know, from like a personal level, I'm, I'm, I'm mindful of this. I don't like it about myself. How do I, how do I work through that?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. Here's one. I don't know if we talked about this. Here's a tip off to idols. There's a great little story in the old Testament about, uh, the people of Ashdod. (laughs) They just don't name towns like they used to. And, uh, (laughs) A S H D O D, Ashdod. And they had um, idols, and the uh, one of the prophets uh, spoke against them and they tipped over. And when the people of Ashdod woke up the next morning, they scurried to put them back up. And the quote, it literally says, put them back in their place. Which, if you remember in Genesis, one of the things that's noted throughout is that God placed everything. And that was not where you're supposed to, that was not the place they should be. They And even the, the, the prophet was trying to say, this is a, this is a false God. But uh, they instead just scurry to put him back up. One of the problems with insecurity in discovering our idols is uh, we scurry to protect them, to put them back up, mm-hmm. get them back in their place. And uh, when we do that, then we don't discover uh, our true self. We don't discover... Our weaknesses and insecurities and um, so I'd say first of all and I there's really know so I think there is a way to think about it or approach it rather but first of all you have to recognize that if you're going to at least go before God and lay your body down as a living sacrifice a la Romans 1 which by the way precedes the renewing of your mind yeah. then you're going to have to suffer the embarrassment of perhaps first of all coming to face with who you truly are and then have inviting a few others to come along with you it could be your spouse and people who live with you who are going to see it anyway to begin to address um, some things that have infected your flesh and the only solution to these things which infect our flesh, not just our mind, is to actually disciplining your flesh, your body for the purpose of godliness. what Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy four seventeen, I believe, or 4.7. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. So you've got to be willing to hear hear really hard things i'll give you one quick example so between middle school and high school between seventh and eighth grade as my mother reports anyway i grew six inches
0: hmm.
1: yeah so I only sad because she said it was impossible to keep me in clothes and <laughs> uh but it also meant that um, my freshman year in high school um, i used to trip over curbs because I, when you grow that much, your, your whole body's just exhausted. <laughs> not quite not quite caught up to. <laughs> yeah, and I still, now I trip over curves was for other reasons. And um, so I, I entered high school, I believe I was 6'4, 155. My miles. goodness. And went out for um, football. And of course, they had this opening day and they had to do some things like a pull up. And um, I'll never forget. I could not do eight, one pull-up and uh, Mel Skillman was the, co- the head football coach. He really had a way with people <laughs> <In> the <laughs> committee. <laughs> said, you're the weakest kid I've ever seen. <laughs> my, my. Yeah. So that's what I mean by insecurity is, um, now here's the difference. I don't know why, what, what even, I just remember looking at him quietly and saying, to myself. Yes, and I will be the strongest person when I leave this high school. Hmm. Now, that's not typically me. I'd instead would get p o'd or quit or high or embarrassed or I don't know what came over me. So, by the time I graduated, I was uh, six four still, about two fifteen, and had uh, college college football uh, scholarship offers, of which I took one. Um, but that was four years of training my body. And um, I think that you have to um, recognize, first of all, the things that you prop up immediately so that no one will see that they're idols. you got to stop doing that. And you can't do it by trying to think your way through it because you didn't think your way into this.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We, uh, we entered our insecurities through, idol, uh, through uh, um, our bodily things we're exposed to in our body um things we do to our body ways we treat our body and um and again i don't know if we talked about this, but it was a bit of a melancholy story i read uh, every once in a while i'll watch these um shows on whatever happened to these rock groups and or one-hit wonders and there was a group called the seekers and and they came out of australia and they sort of paved the way for the Bee Gees and the rest way back in the 60s and their lead singer was a woman who elton John said had the most beautiful voice he'd ever heard, and uh, they had one hit big hit. Um, you can look them up, Seekers. And, but uh, with fame, uh, she eventually left the group, and it was because of body image. She said she was shorter, she felt fat next to these uh, three uh, handsome, tall men. And you look at the pictures, and you go, She's not fat, but she mm. felt that way, right. And uh, you just go, She's you not, know, I think, I know as I've read about her as she grew older just sort of, uh, and uh, she passed away last week, I believe at the age of 78, and sweet story, she tried to rejoin them every once in a while for some of these uh, 60s groups to come together, but uh, you can see what body image does to, especially to women, um, because she looked no different than any other woman, but for some reason she didn't have the perfect body. Hmm.
0: So, the, I mean, the body connection. Your example is great. The body connection of, of physical training—that I get. Uh, um, one thing that comes to mind, which I, I definitely had a sense of this as a kid, and I, I, I know other adults who I've seen this as well. But let's maybe go down this path a little bit, which is what about what about like uh, we'll use abandonment issues as an example or fear of abandonment. So, mm-hmm. so maybe I'm I'm you know, I, I, naturally attach to people or push people away because I'm, I'm, there's this deep insecurity of being left, being left alone or left to myself. And I don't want to feel that pain, you know? So yeah. that's, that's one. How, how does just using that as an, as an example, how does that translate to the body?
1: Yeah, that's a great, uh, I'm glad you brought that up. So, uh, Everything I read tells indicates to me anyway that um, babies are only born with two fears. Uh, fear, you've heard this before. What are the two? I have heard it before. I I don't remember what they are. <laughs> uh, falling and loud noise.
0: Uh yes, yes. Yeah. Uh, those good fears. Oh man! Um, Sorry, that just brought back the when you see that falling reflex in a baby. I just <laughs> literally just had that flash on my head. Oh, man, it's like so adorable. <laughs> that's right. It
1: is. And
0: uh, you're about to see it again. <laughs> yeah, that's
1: right. Uh, listeners, they have another baby on the way. Do any day. Yeah. And uh, yeah, So, uh, so all the other fears we have are acquired, including abandonment. Sure. Yeah. So we talked a bit about some... 16 where david says you make Mm -hmm. my lot secure and my flesh will also rest secure so seeing our lot in life that's the things that have happened to us and where we are today and our bodily flesh and blood body are the solution for insecurity both of them now the first is something you learn to see that way it comes at the end of psalm 16, you know, that all these things have fallen in lovely places, but the between the two is the flesh. And, you know, it's interesting that uh, one of the uh, catechisms of the ancient church read that the flesh is the hinge of salvation, hinge meaning it's the portal into salvation, as we have probably talked about before, salvation was understood in three tenses that mm-hmm. we have been saved or being saved and will be saved. So, the flesh is the hinge into being saved, being saved from our insecurities. And I've often thought before, if you look at the uh, ancient disciplines, they basically break down to disciplines of abstinence, things you stop doing, and things abstain from doing, rather. And then disciplines of engagement, things that you proactively begin to do. And the first discipline of abstinence is drumroll solitude.
0: Fasting. Oh, solitude. Sorry. Yes. yes. Duh.
1: That was sorry. Right. Early in, in the morning, sons and I went up. Yeah, yes, we're bragging on uh, getting up so early here.
0: <laughs> solitude, yeah.
1: Now, how is the discipline of solitude connected to what you were just—the issue you raised, abandonment?
0: Well, well solitude requires uh, being being by yourself, uh, so I mean, I see a, a clear connection there. You're alone with your own thoughts. You're alone with your own self. Um, but that's all I have so far. Well, listen, you. <laughs>
1: this is why. Go get why some coffee and come that's back. That's all right. Because... <laughs> all right. This is why I am a sacramentalist. Sacramentalist means, comes from the idea that all of life is sacred because God is present in all of life. Uh, Present. Yes, yes. So it's a fascinating story when uh, the, the disciples go into into town to hit McDonald's and get something to eat and then uh, <laughs> Jesus is out there at the well meets a woman, chats with her and the disciples come back and um, he says they said, you gotta be hungry, you didn't come with us and they've had you know, Big Macs and all that and he goes, well I have food that you know nothing about doesn't mean you can't know anything about it but at this point you don't know anything about this food second he also says because uh, you were alone he goes i'm never alone
0: hmm. huh oh okay so solitude is not just time with yourself obviously that was such a stupid answer
1: now <laughs> well, see now we're back to the embarrassment of insecurity <laughs> that is uh that is one area where i've i've, I've no longer feel insecure <laughs>
0: um wow so that is a time that that could very well solidify that you're actually never alone i guess if solitude have done well really solidifies that you're not alone you're, yeah. you're comfortable being alone in the human sense but through that you recognize that you're not actually alone that's right. You are never,
1: uh, one of my granddaughters right now is making a big deal. Uh, Claire, I call her mischievous Claire, but she always is saying it's actually or truly <laughs> and uh, you're truly never alone. Jesus often would say to people, truly, I say to you, here's here's the uh, deepest, widest truth, that you're never alone. Moses didn't know about this. First time he knew he was going to be the redeemer by freeing them from the freeing the Israelites from the Egyptians. He goes out one time and he sees a an Egyptian beating up a Israelite slave, and so he looks this way and that. Doesn't see anyone. And he kills the Egyptian. He looked this way and that and didn't see anyone. I'd wager a pretty healthy percentage of the sin that I commit and that we commit. Wouldn't happen if we truly felt that this room I'm standing in right now is saturated with the presence of God. Yeah. And of course, Jesus, what does he say before he ascends to his disciples? Having everything to do with, by the way, um, abandonment. He says, uh, "I'm sending someone in, else," and I will never leave you. Yeah. Never leave you, nor forsake you. I'll never abandon you. I'll never, never. Now, do people grow up with parents abandoned? And then, of course, this is why the disciplines are called bodily disciplines. Because insecurity is a bodily response to your, the intuitive part of your mind, recognizing you have a castle built on sand. Mm. It, It could all be blown away.
0: So, this is helpful. I'm thinking about um more of like a, a communal or even just cultural element here. Um have you yeah, how ha- have you seen different different communal practices anything like that help shape uh shape this type of thing? You know like um, mm-hmm. I think of when when we talk about solitude, for example, I always just translate that immediately to a very personal solo as in just me humanly activity mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i'm sure that's effective for some people but have you seen communal elements or, or or you know things that that again are cultural that help shape and avoid some of these things could e could be the family unit could be i don't know uh, anything else but
1: yeah that's a there? yeah that's a good question um the short answer is not much. Yeah. And by the way, I think, I think that there's a, a reason why, um, uh Flannery O'Connor, uh, I love as an author, um, in one of her books she noted, um, called wise blood is she talks about that when, um, Part of the story is that when the Eucharist is not understood as taking the flesh and blood body of Christ, that I means the real, real presence of Christ, not something symbolic, which is in most of the modern American traditions, it's something that is um, tacked on at best at the end of the service, and it's not whatever's left over you throw away. There's your key, by the way. A sacramentalist would never throw anything away. And in those... And she talked about in those, when it's not, when you don't have a sacramentalist view of Eucharist, you really spend a lot of time having to jazz up the service to keep it interesting because it's lost all its gravitas. And in the gravitas of some occasional sacramentalist services, there's silence. Let all the ears be silent. And I've seen that on occasion to even ponder should you lead this service because you know someone has something against you and you should not present your offering or uh, if you are unworthy to receive the Eucharist um, we're going to urge you not to or if we're aware of something we will deny you the Eucharist because it could literally kill you the press doesn't understand anything about this, so it gives a great deal of uh, Roman Catholic Church, gives a great deal of flack over this for people suggesting that a uh, president who is for abortion uh, should be denied the Eucharist. Um, this, that comes out of a sacramentalist view that this is not just uh, crackers and grape juice. So I've seen on occasion um, these and um and I, now now that i think about it by the way kathy and i have twice been to italy um, i would call myself an anglo-catholic but we have um, visited many times in uh, the cathedrals which dot the landscape in every town everywhere and i found ourselves really drawn into silence we go off to a chapel and kneel and spend time in prayer in ways that we typically don't. Mm. It does remind us of old Churchill's idea that we, we uh, make our buildings and that we shape our buildings and then they shape us. So I've seen services and I've seen settings that do encourage solitude. Let me throw out one last thing, by the way, that our, I think our bodies I, I love Christopher West's book, "Our Bodies Tell God's Story," and primarily, primarily in marital union. And uh, I was thinking the other day, as Kathy and I were at breakfast reading different things, um, that you know, I can feel alone with my thoughts, and she's right next to me. It's almost like two have become one. Mm. And that's another example of, uh, your body can, uh, can adapt to, this person is here, but I really am along with God. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: But by and large, no. There, there's, there's times that I ache. Yeah, I've been mm-hmm. in service in the past, for I just, there's been times in service in the past, I can't even hear myself think. The sound, you know, the guy's up there wailing on a guitar. It's more like I'm at an Elton John concert. That's the last concert <laughs> I went to. And my ears were ringing. And, um, but, um, I, yeah, maybe, maybe it's just, maybe it's just part of growing older. You just go, uh, this is not.
0: <laughs> that's your, uh, that's your boober coming out there, Mike. I know.
1: I know. <laughs> Might as well lay it on the line here. <laughs> So i think the sum of it is solitude i have a good friend of mine here in town and he once went on a solitude retreat sounds in like solitude And god bless him because he said he it was a cabin in montana or somewhere and uh he said the first day was terrorizing oh and, wow. uh, i really i admire him for being honest that most of us have so much stuff playing in our head all the time yeah and it what that does that fuels
0: the insecurity hmm Hmm. that's good and it kind of flows into another question i had which was thinking maybe again maybe adult but maybe also kids you said fueling insecurity you know what what have you seen really shape or fuel insecurity in people you know again thinking about age different different ages along the way but what have you seen begin to to take hold
1: yeah that's a um... Oh, no, I didn't know you were going to ask that. Um, <clears throat> I'll throw this out for kicks. Um, so I'm I'm ready to be uh, shown to be wrong on this, but um, I think there has been. Let me put it another way. Uh, I think, in some aspects, where I did grow up secure, is because my parents didn't think twice about it. They just conveyed that we weren't the center of their lives. And I I think a cottage industry has really grown over the last 40, 50 years of um, parents living for their kids. And I think that that's too great a weight for uh, youth and children to bear. And I think that they'll be insecure in some ways because um, when they say get children are a gift from the Lord. They are a gift. They, they're almost like a pass-through account. And I'm not minimizing any of that. I, I love our kids and I love our grandkids. But, you know, we're all going to be adults in eternity, first of all. Even the uh, those who are babies that are miscarried and aborted and all those, uh, they enter into eternity as adults. And our great goal should be to... Uh, to raise them to be adults, so that one day you have an adult-to-adult relationship. And a lot of my insecurities come from um, I was never an adult around my dad. And um, in many ways, he he wasn't an adult. I watched he wasn't an adult around his dad. Mm. And when you're not an adult, that was some of my insecurities. Um, and uh, my dad wasn't responsible for my you know. It's up to me to grow up. But I think that uh, that contributes to it is uh, they've talked to, you know, helicopter parents and, um, you know, just giving the kids everything and um, even down to, and again, I'm sure there's different schools of thought on that, but, uh, you know, one of the things I did rate uh, that was raised is we were disciplined and that even includes spanking, which used to be very out right now. Then um, it wasn't a bloody mess. It was, uh, but it did convey, Uh, Sin is painful. Sin is not something you bargain with God and negotiate your way out of. Uh, When you do wrong, there are consequences, flesh consequences. And I I, I wonder today often, um, uh, a lot of negotiating uh, turns a thing into more of a cerebral exercise of um, correcting kids and so rather than a... uh, It should be, of course, cerebral, but it should include the body. But I'm sure I could be getting a whole lot of parents upset
0: right now. Hmm. It's an interesting, interesting take, though. Yeah. Very thought provoking.
1: The Bible does say, spare the rod, spoil the child. And I'm sure there's people have come up with all sorts of hermeneutical ways to uh, uh, take different takes on that. I mean, I'm not going to go across for this, but I, uh, yeah, I, I just think if you don't feel any, if you don't feel any bodily, pain from that i mean you you think about it god does say let the marriage bed be undefiled it's the idea of reserve this for nuptial union and you have all these things out there called sexually transmitted diseases i mean some of these come from you just don't pay attention to what god says what sex is
0: reserved for there are some physical consequences for that i think too yeah we don't have to go too far down this rabbit hole but I i was spanked as a child and i think in a very healthy manner you know, I think when people who have had poor spank, you know, whatever discipline experiences, maybe from a parent who's angry and they just, it's hard for them to break out of that and even yeah. comprehend what a healthy yeah. a healthy spanking is. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, you know, I, I I, was fortunate to experience that as a kid where I don't have these recollections of getting spanked out of anger. You know, I very much connected things to, oh, I did this wrong and there's a consequence. And yeah. it's just, you know, when you, when you have this conversation, it is, you know, maybe that's, maybe their are insecurities, maybe, I don't know, but things, things do flare up because I think, unfortunately, people have had poor experiences you know, with their parents. Yeah. That's interesting. So you said discipline, um, but also, also freedom and a level of freedom, you know, the, the lack of helicopter parents. I, I thought that was, that's helpful. Do you think that part of that is just building confidence as a kid and, and and learning which i think so for that like yeah proper for, confidence you know,
1: This uh, idea of free range kids i like the phrase
0: yeah
1: and uh yeah i think about that i grew up in saginaw michigan i can remember uh, the street was only half completed and the rest of it was a farmer's field it didn't seem to seem to be just lying fallow yeah and there was a tree somewhere out there but uh we'd take off for the day and go up with all sorts of things a lot of it was playing army back then and or dig up football games and the rest. And uh, you know, when I hear when I hear kids that are three, four years old say, "I'm bored," <laughs> I just go, "You got to be freaking out of your mind." <laughs> you know, there was just um, you know, and I grant you, it's much more challenging as a parent today because we didn't have daytime television was terrible if i remember it was days of our lives or something but we had no interest at all in the three channels we could get and uh, but you had to go outside or or you know, if it was winter even in winter we go outside but um yeah there's something about the uh, security of exploration that comes from uh, versus um my god you went down the street now There's a fascinating thing that I don't think the best I've been able to read on this, as I understand it, is in fact, incidences of child child abduction abduction and the rest are actually less than 40, 50 years ago, but they're reported more because of social media. So you get the sense of the world's a scarier place than it actually
0: is. Right. Yeah, this is one jonathan of the hate talks about that
1: that's a right yeah. <clears throat> yes and h-i-h-a-i-d-t jonathan hate yeah. we recommend his his stuff to all of all of our uh, three listeners um <laughs> because uh again one of the downsides of living in a in a left in, in a world that biases the left brain is the left brain is very narrowly focused doesn't take in the big picture so reads about a child abduction somewhere and just goes, oh my God, I can't let my kids outside. Yeah, yeah. And again, this also comes back to security. That ultimately, it's fool's gold to believe that you can hover over and protect your child from all manner of evil. The best, most conscientious parents on this Still, things happen. But I do think it contributes some way to insecurity of the, that little tinge of stepping outside and versus stepping outside and going, yeah, what are we going to do today? Mm -hmm. It's a very subtle thing. But, uh, you know, the old adage is uh, disease is contagious, not good health. And the insecurities you have, if you don't deal with them, they're contagious. You'll pass them on to your kids.
0: Hmm. That's good. That's good. Well, I have made it through my questions. I'm curious if you... uh... I think you ought to
1: go back to bed.
0: (laughs) <laughs> do you you have any any closing
1: thoughts before we wrap up this this topic no we got to stop right here before we start talking about my life
0: <laughs> I'm fine talking about you <laughs> <laughs> sounds good sounds good okay well thanks Mike we can wrap it up here okay